Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Welcome. I am Betsy Hicks, and welcome to our show today. We have a wonderful guest and somebody who I have a lot of admiration for because she preaches a lot of the same message that I do. Her name is Dana Lake, and she is a licensed nutritionist in Kensington, Maryland. Within her practice, Dana, um, her practice's name is Dana Lake Nutrition, and she provides preventative and therapeutic uh, medical nutritional services. Her practice includes nutritional evaluation and treatment of the full spectrum of health issues affecting adults and children with special needs. Dana, welcome very much to the show today. Thank you, Betsy. Happy to be here. Well, the, now Dana has written along with a, with a co-writer, um, uh, with Pam, is it? Pam, Pam Compart, yes. Pam Compart, who is a medical doctor, and the book is called The Kid-Friendly ADHD and Autism Cookbook, The Ultimate Guide to the Gluten-Free, Casein-Free Diet. And it is a great book because of the fact that it, it really talks a lot about um, why you're doing things, um, the background of why to do things, and then, of course, it has fabulous, fabulous recipes. So I, I first applaud you on a book of this type because it really, um, a lot isn't written on to the whys and um, a lot of the background that you provide, especially with things such as soy and sugars, is really, really beneficial to a lot of the families that are out there. Well, we hoped it would be. Tell me, when you were, when you were deciding to do this book, what, what was... Was it just a matter of you're just finding that you, you, my guess is as a nutritionist, you are having a lot of patients say to you, when are you going to write a book with all these recipes? Is that well, we certainly, we certainly did uh, get those inquiries. And one of our concerns was that there are excellent, excellent cookbooks out there that are gluten-free, casein-free, also egg, soy, nut-free, but they're geared more toward adults. And what we were hearing from our parents is my child doesn't even want to eat anything. Sure. A recipe, no matter how wonderful it is, isn't any good if we can't get the children to eat it. So we decided to focus also on the picky eater, the child who has three foods, most of which are gluten and casein. How do you transition those children painlessly because cold turkey doesn't always work. It, it creates such, it works, but it creates such difficulties with the child. So we were very interested in how we could transition these children and how we can sneak nutrition in and what we call the Trojan horse technique. <laughs> right. That's really great the way you refer to it as that. That's fabulous. Now, a lot of doctors don't understand the need for nutrition in a gluten. Well, they don't understand the need for nutrition, period. But um, a lot of the even um, doctors that are working with autism are still limited in their understanding of the importance of trying to get a well-rounded diet in there. Do you, have, you, have you found that this book has really helped 
to kind of change that attitude? Well, it certainly is geared toward that because it's very reasonably written, and we provide the science behind the opiate peptide effects from gluten and casein, why it happens, uh, a little bit of documentation. We don't go into in-depth science, but we certainly do provide a good background as to why these foods can be opiate formers, and they can also form other psychoactive, neuroactive peptides which affect behavior and performance. Sure. And that's, that is a big piece. Have you, um, have you read Dr. Kayla Daniels' book, The Whole Soy Story? Yes. I, I really like Dr. Daniel a lot, um, and, and, I, and I, love, I love the fact that she's done so much tremendous research, or at least gathered, I should say, gathered the research that has helped the whole soy piece of it, because um, it's a really frustrating part that I see so many of the children, as they go gluten casein-free, um, so much increase their intake of the soy and so much increase their intake of corn, and they, they don't see all the benefits that they potentially could because um, it's, the focus is just on the gluten and casein piece. Well, we do. We focus on the soy as actually the third component, uh, and as I said, in addition to some of the other common uh, food intolerances, food allergies. And really when we're talking about these kinds of issues, as you know, Betsy, these are food intolerances, right. and the soy issue is certainly um, a tough issue. Uh, Sally Fallon and yes. Mary Enig, who are both colleagues of mine, have written extensively about some of the problems with soy, and it is a common allergen, and some of our children go from the fire, frying pan to the fire when they go from gluten and casein to soy. Uh, sometimes we're stuck with having to use it, but we try, and that's what this book is focusing on, a lot of other alternatives. And that's the best piece of it. I, I told you kind of off the air, my favorite is your recipe for mayonnaise. I, you know, I think that we kind of get caught up in the what can, you know, can we buy everything? Is everything, you know, is everything on this diet, can we make it so that it's just an all-purchase diet? But um, I love the fact that we can teach people to make really nutritious alternative options, um, and it's not that difficult, but then we can really kind of customize the diet to what their, their specific needs are. And um, that, I think, your book really does very well. Um, and and let's, let's address, address the picky eater piece because, you know, there can be a lot of reasons why somebody, a child, is a picky eater. And let's, if we could touch on some of those, that might be helpful to some of the parents that are listening today. Um, you know, is, is it sensory? Is it... Um, is it just a matter of an addiction? Is it a matter of um, just a spoiled child, which in some ch- situations, you know, and maybe it's, it's, I believe it's really kind of a combination of all three, and I don't mean spoiled in a bad sense. Please don't get me wrong here, because I, what I guess what I'm trying to say is that as parents, sometimes we get so tremendously overwhelmed by everything else, and, I, and I'm right there along with all the rest of you. I don't feel that I'm any better than anyone else there, but we get to a point where it's like, we have to push. We can't just always give them exactly what it is that they want to eat without trying to test them a little bit. Well, I think you make a good point, and it certainly is a combination. Yes, it is sensory. Uh, yes, it is um, it, 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 
I, I see less of the spoiling effect with these children than I do typically developing children. Definitely. These, I totally agree. The children on the spectrum are biochemically driven toward the diet, and that ties in with the addiction right. that you mentioned. And uh, as you know, gluten and casein have embedded in their structure opiate peptides. So when they are maldigested and they are absorbed across a gut that is too permeable, like holes in a screen, mm -hmm. those peptides can get into the bloodstream and find their way across the blood-brain barrier. So this is a real effect, and anybody who is consuming primarily foods that release opiates and affect their system, are not going to be interested in other foods. You're going to be addicted, biochemically addicted, to the food that causes the opiate effect. So that's one problem. As children eat more and more of the opiates, they have no interest in other foods. Right, exactly. And then what we also see is, is a really low zinc. Most of the children have low zinc. Yes. And zinc's critical for appetite, appetite perception, sensory development, so here you have a child that's craving the foods that cause the problem and cannot taste the real taste of vegetables. And one of the problems I have is that parents think they're going to bring their children to me and I'm going to convince them to eat the foods that they gag on. <laughs> and I spend a lot of time explaining that they don't taste what the parent tastes. It exactly. may be foul. It may taste moldy. It mm -hmm. may taste... In a child's in a child's vernacular, gross. So naturally, they're going to avoid it, and it may cause them to gag. You know, Dana, um, it caused my story that I tell a lot of parents when I'm talking to them about picky eating, because um, a friend of mine has, um, goes to China quite often, and she talks to me about how they eat buckets of worms there. Wow! And I started to think, what would it take to get me to eat a a worm. What 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 would it take in my diet to get to that point? And and I like parents to think that way because it helps them realize what they need to do. And um, you know, let's let's we, we go back to the whole thing. We go back to the sensory. We go back to the addiction, and we go back to and I, and I really don't like the word spoiling. It was it was more of the word of um, kind of um, a, a, kind of a structure that the parent needs to be real strong on. And so I think Behavior about, modification. Thank you. That's a much better word. <laughs> so, so we go back to that, and, we, and I think, okay, I would probably first need to have a very teeny small amount in order to, to even come close to it. I would also probably need to have a major motivation. <laughs> I would thirdly need to be extremely hungry. So, you know, if, if somebody made me something that I could eat, that I knew, like a gluten and casein-free, really great chocolate cake, and I was very hungry, and they said, all you really need to do is take one, the bite of a fingernail of this worm, and then you're going to get that chocolate cake, I think that would get me to eat a worm. Um, and, and I realize that a lot of these kids aren't going to reason it the same way that I'm going to reason. <laughs> but I, I guess that my point of it being is that, we have to play with all areas of, areas of that when we're trying to get the picky eating. You know, we got to take a break in uh, a few seconds here, so um, I don't want to hit into another subject. But um, when I get back, I do want to be able to talk more about this picky eating piece. Because
because um, parents are screaming for help with this. And um, I, I want to be able to give as much information as we can. We'll be right back with Dana Lake, author of ADD and Autism Cookbook. Thank you. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Children are a precious and valuable resource, yet the challenges that some children must face in today's society are daunting. Denise for the Child with host Denise Zuckerman seeks courageous conversation about real issues facing today's children of America. Each week, leaders in education, mental health, and juvenile justice, along with students, scholars, authors, therapists, and researchers, are invited to speak about topics such as anger management, values development, parenting, life and relationship skills, employability, criminal thinking, and gang prevention as related to children. Denise and her expert guests discuss solution-based best practices that are effective in the lives of children and are intended to foster their eventual development into quality contributing adults. Denise for the Child with Denise Zuckerman broadcasts each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Are you tired of being tired? Are you sick of sitting around while life passes you by? You can get back on track by tuning in to Voice America Health and Wellness every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time for Attracting Abundance, the Energy of Success with Carol Look. Attracting Abundance is the program that empowers you to finally break through your limiting beliefs and blocks and shows you how to succeed in all areas of your life, from improved financial abundance, health and weight problems, as well as your relationships. Don't wait another week to be joyful. Listen to Attracting Abundance, the Energy of Success with Carol Look, this Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Diabetes can mean a change in lifestyle. For many people, understanding diabetes, managing it, and living with it can be overwhelming. The good news is that you can do something about it. Be Healthy with Diabetes is hosted by diabetes specialist Dr. Wendy Hawkins and registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator Liz Bello and provides a real-life look at information about diabetes and living with diabetes every day. From Diabetes Centers of America, both professionals focus their medical viewpoints on how to integrate lifestyle choices. Be Healthy with Diabetes creates supportive conversation to take an active role in managing lifestyle, achieving good health, and positive outcomes with diabetes. Be Healthy with Diabetes with Dr. Wendy Hawkins and Liz Bellow broadcast each Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be Healthy with Diabetes from Diabetes Centers of America so you can take charge of your blood sugar, become active, enhance your wellness. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back with the kid-friendly ADD and Autism Cookbook with Dana Lake. This is a great show for those of you who may be struggling with diet needs because Dana is a fabulous nutritionist with fabulous advice regarding, right now we're talking on the subject of picky eating, and we've been talking about how we can get our kids and all the different components. Um, Dana, let's talk a little bit about the sensory piece and um, what what creates 
the sensory integration in the mouth? Is, is it a heavy metal reaction? Um, wh- where do you think the sensory p- component is coming from? I think directly it comes from low zinc, which is secondary to toxic metals. Uh, zinc is one of the minerals that is easily depleted by toxic metals, and it's also the mineral upon which uh, metallocyanine depends. Now, metallocyanine is like a magnet in the system that attracts toxic metals. It lines all of the mucosal tissues, the nose, the sinuses, the respiratory tree, and the gut. So when we consume, we drink, smell, or eat items that have toxins in them, these little magnets will grab onto the toxins so we don't absorb them. And if we're overexposed to toxins and we weaken that system, or if we come into the world with a system of small magnets that don't work very well, then we're going to be overwhelmed by what is a typical exposure of a toxic metal. Uh, Many of these children have malabsorption, and zinc is readily malabsorbed. And zinc is the driver for sensory development. So when you have low zinc, you're going to have wild development of the neurons in the brain. And I'm just using that as as an analogy. I call it an unpruned brain, a wilder growth. And zinc is responsible as part of metallocyanine for pruning of the brain. I'm sorry, please, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's also so important for taste and all of the senses, how we smell, how we perceive smell, how we taste, how we perceive taste, how we hear, how we perceive what we hear. So you're going to see children who have sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, Mm -hmm. uh, oral motor problems, uh, texture issues, smell issues, in, uh, in addition to all of the other sensory issues in the body, the issues with tags, the way things feel, um, how much pressure there is when you touch them. Do they have an excess response to pain or a dulled response to pain? And so I like to go in the back door with the picky eater. Um, I do two things at once. First of all, we, we evaluate them. We do a red blood cell zinc through the physician. We also do a zinc screening test. And in addition to the other nutrients that we also evaluate, I'm focusing on zinc, but I don't want anyone to get the idea that this is a singular sure. effect. I, I, I understand that, yeah. Yeah, we, it's a really combined, comprehensive evaluation and program. But with regard to the zinc, we get that in, and it's very easy to get it in because they can't taste it because their taste is unusual, so you can hide it in juice, you can hide it in almost anything they eat, and as the zinc gets into their system, they will gradually start being more receptive to the good tastes of the foods that they're not consuming. It's a slow process for most. It can be quick for others, but to be honest, it's a slow process. At the same time, I like to use the Trojan horse technique that I mentioned where we hide a small amount, an infinitesimally small amount of a healthy food or a vegetable within the food the child likes. Now, parents make the mistake of giving too much. Yes, I agree. So we just start with a tiny amount, of, uh, almost imperceptible, maybe a sixteenth of a teaspoon. Uh, yeah, I always tell people like the size of your pinky nail. Exactly. 
sometimes we even call it a dot amount, mixed in very well so it doesn't change the color or the texture of what the child favors. And sometimes we're, we're starting with really junk foods, whatever that child will eat, as a way of introducing it. At some subclinical level, once the child continues to eat a favorite food that has new foods previously found to be offensive to the child, these new foods start to get more and more acceptable. It's also just an easy way to get nutrition in. Uh, we have some muffins in the in the recipe book, and I learned this from a mother years ago. It was a fabulous story. When I took the history, she told me her son ate six muffins. And I thought, well, this isn't good. And she said, let me tell you about the muffins. She started out with a gluten-free, casein-free muffin. And once he liked that, she added fruit. Once he liked that, she started adding vegetables. These were pureed, or she bought them as baby foods. And very well mixed. Then eventually she added pureed chicken and pureed meat. He was getting a pot pie every time he ate. We were working toward enabling this child to eat regular food, but what he was getting was very healthy. We can do it with soups. We can do it with cereals. We can do it with all kinds of foods so that we sneak the nutrition in as we're improving their core nutritional status until they get to the point where they do start venturing out. That's so important. And I think that that is a great message to give to people is how it needs to be done on the slow piece. But if you're doing one more fingernail version worth of it every day or every week even, that's that's one more than you had last week. And it's, it's the frustration piece is when it's been months and months and months and you kind of feel like you're failing because nothing's going in. But if you're gradually working your way up, it's just so much more surmountable. Um, and it can yes. happen. And I see it happen every day. And I've been working with this for you know nearly a decade to where I've, I've seen the changes that it can potentially make. So the sensory piece is an important part. Um, and, and I agree with that whole zinc and, and the metallothionine piece. And the one thing I wanted to mention was that soy will, will block the absorption um, uh, and the, um, of, of metallothionine. And that's where it can become, the, the soy addiction can make it, your child even more pickier. And when you remove soy, you might be amazed with how many more foods that they may open up to. Right. Um, so true. Anything that they're addicted to and, and exclusively want to eat is causing a problem. It's not the foods you avoid that make you sick. It's what you love, crave, and eat every day. Right, right. And, okay, let's talk then more about, um, so we, we hit the sensory, that whole sensory piece. And then let's talk about the addictive piece a, a little bit clearer and that we, we've already talked about the, glu- the addiction, addiction to gluten and casein. And I think that most of our listeners right now especially since I've done a lot of shows on the subject, um, understand the importance of removing gluten and casein. But one food that I have to say that I see a huge addiction to um, very, very frequently is corn. Oh, yeah. And, and um, a lot of parents don't even are not even aware of the fact their children are so addicted to corn because they think of corn as like corn on the cob. And they don't realize how much corn is in how many things their child's eating. 
um, you know, they'll say, well, my child doesn't eat corn. Well, like, okay, well, let's figure out what does your child eat. And they're eating, they're eating pretzels, which all the gluten-free pretzels as of now have corn in them unless they're making them themselves. Um, they're eating chips that have a base of corn in them. They're eating uh, those darn Gorilla Munch cereal that I just <laughs> I just went off the shelf completely. And they're eating just large just large amounts of like corn syrups and everything in that form. So I, I see that addiction with the corn. Do you see that much at all in your practice? All the time. And the more the more a child consumes more foods that bother them the less likely you're going to see results. And many of the parents do get discouraged. Mm-hmm. I, I tell parents it's a work in progress. It's very easy to accept a diet when your child has a Jekyll Hyde response. But many, a third of the children have a Jekyll Hyde response. It's a miracle. You take them off and their behavior changes. We do see it. Another third are improved, but it's not dramatic. And then there's a third for whom these diets really aren't the central problem. And that's what we have to figure out. I say it's like sitting on 12 pins. If you remove six, you could assume that removing pins, avoiding certain foods, doesn't work. And one mother said it very elegantly, and, and I quoted her in the book. She said, I gave up on the diet because all the books said it would be a miraculous turnaround. And we went and worked on nutrition, worked on other aspects, then came back and tried the diet to find it was an important piece. It wasn't the main piece, but it was an important piece. And I thought it was so well said. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we tried to do in this book is give a lot of examples of people who improved, but it wasn't the whole piece. Because that's the, we were trying to be realistic. As, as I wrote, I just imagined my parents sitting right here. What is it that we talk about that they ask and that I, I try to tell them and, and try to respond to their questions? And that's, that's what that makes this book very different. I think it does. And I think that you're making some very important points. And I, and I think the other message that, um, is, that I know that you've been slightly giving out, maybe in an indirect way, is that parents um, are encouraged to take this kind of one step at a time and not feel like they're going to get, you know, full and total um, answers within a week and not feel that they have to be able to do everything within a week either, that they can kind of gradually work their way into it. I mean, goodness knows it took me five years to be able to get to a point where I really felt like I understood my son's diet and was comfortable with it. Yes. And I still am always looking at ways to improve it and um, constantly. Yeah, it's not easy. And I'll tell you one of the other things that we did that is different in this book. We have gourmet recipes. But most of our parents are going five to seven days a week to therapies with the children. Um, It is very challenging unless there's one parent that focuses on the cooking, which often happens, and the other parent facilitates other aspects. And many parents don't have the skill for gourmet cooking. And so we took some of these good, you know, wonderful gourmet recipes, and we did quick and easy versions of them, and then even quicker and easy versions because there are so many things that are available in health food stores 
that are hypoallergenic, you have to really do your homework and read the labels, as you noted, for corn, for soy, for so many other things, and know which additives need to be avoided. But there are quick ways that people can make healthy, nutritious meals without having to spend all the time. So we've given a tapered version Uh, If we have the homemade vegetable soup, uh, as Sally Fallon has in her book, chicken vegetable soup, we've got the version that's quicker and organic, and the even quicker version, which is buy some of the things already made up in the health food store that are suitable, and then add some frozen organic vegetables. That is a great idea. We have to take another break right now. When we get back, we'll be here with Dana Lake talking more about all of the great information in the kids-friendly ADD and autism cookbook. We'll be right back. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Valium, Xanax, alcohol, Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin, self-medicating by whatever means can lead to addiction. On Curing Addiction with Dr. Rick, noted addiction specialist and anesthesiologist, Dr. Rick Spinagle reveals the scientifically proven basis for successfully treating addictions by getting to the root of the cause of the chemical dependency. Topics ranging from brain chemistry and ADHD to anxiety, depression, guilt, and healing, Dr. Spinagle shares his years of experience to educate, inform, and uncover the truth behind addiction. Curing Addiction with Dr. Rick broadcasts each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Curing Addiction with Dr. Rick. Safe, compassionate, and scientific information. Whole body health and wellness is possible. Working in concert with herbs, homeopathic remedies, the type and quality of food you eat, and the understanding of how it all works together is key. The harmony of healing with nutritional therapist, author, and teacher, Patty Kilkenny, blends old world knowledge with up-to-date scientific research and offers relief, encouragement, understanding, and healing. Patty and her expert guests offer insights and perspectives on everything from diabetes, heart health, and the effects of stress to nutritional deficiencies whole body cleansing, and body work. The Harmony of Healing with Patty Kilkenny. Broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Harmony of Healing. Look great and feel years younger with whole body health and wellness. You gotta believe. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Hahn, founder of Conceive Magazine. Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. Kim wants to share her experiences to educate and empower women. Conceive On Air is the only complete resource destination that inspires and informs future moms about their fertility on the journey to parenthood. Conceive On Air with Kim Hahn, celebrating the creation of families. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 866- 
472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back with Dana Lake from the kid-friendly ADHD and autism cookbook. i got to get that one down yet. Um, and we are talking about, we've been talking about picky eating. Um, and Dana, the third part of this that I really want to go into a little bit more because I think this is such an important topic and so rarely addressed is the whole kind of behavior modification piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I have strongly felt that um, for a long time that, they, that it, it does need to be approached in almost an ABA type of approach when in getting your child to eat food in a kind of a first this, then that type of a method. And we've talked a lot about sneaking food in and making bites, you know, not so overwhelming. Um, but... I, I, I know you've worked with a lot of parents, so I know that you're going to understand what I'm about to say, um, and I hope that our listeners will understand this that, and that I'm saying this in a very kind way. The one thing I want to make sure and note to everyone is that I was not raised in a, um, uh, to, to believe in a, in a very healthy lifestyle of food. So a lot of what I have accomplished has been acquired over the years of listening to wonderful people like Dana, listening to other fabulous people like Sally Fallon and Kayla Daniel, and I've learned a lot over the years, so I, uh, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm very sympathetic with kind of the route that people take. But the, the piece that I find a lot is I'll say, okay, we're going to try something new. We're going to try this little teeny, teeny little bite of, say, hamburger, for example, because a child doesn't eat meat. And they say, forget it. He won't eat it. He'll spit it out. I say, okay, I understand. I respect that. Okay, but what happens if you take that little teeny bit, that little size of a, of a pinky nail, and say, first this, then you get your chips or whatever it is, the, the gluten-free waffle that they're loving or their cereal, the gluten-free cereal that they like, but first they have to eat that. Well, then they'll decide, you know, then the parent will say, well, then they won't, they won't eat. They'll just leave the table. I'm like, okay. So then, in about two hours, tell me what happens. Well, they'll come back to the table and they'll start crying because they want their 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 panda puffs or whatever their um, gorilla munch. I'm really going to pick on that cereal today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, okay. Well, and then you you bring back the hamburger and what happens? Well, they just leave the table again. And then I say, okay. So now it's bedtime. Now your child is very hungry and it's time to go to bed. Well, then what happens? Well, I don't want him to go to bed on an empty stomach, so I give him the cereal. And I'm not saying that all parents do this, but in some form or another, it does kind of get to that point. And I definitely know that there are different levels of autism. There is the very nonverbal, the one that doesn't understand first this, then that. But right now I'm talking about the child that does understand the concept of first this, then that. Tell me about your work with a situation like that. Well, I definitely coordinate with therapists that are using different techniques. And every child's different. If you've got a child whose receptive is good enough to understand what you're trying to say, and their receptive is often, as you know, far greater than their expressive. Exactly. Um, I like to also dilute the sensory on this. And it really is something I came up with. When you're feeding a child and you're focusing on one food, all of their sensory is focused on that. I try to distract the sensory if it means putting a favorite tape on. 
you have a better chance of getting a food in if they are listening to something they're interested in, looking at it, have a toy there. Now, this violates what the parents are learning. Don't turn the TV on. And as <laughs> exactly. I explained, I've got a whole list in here in the book of rules to break, rules to make and rules to break. And, and one of the rules to break is allow them the TV or the tape or the favorite item because they will be less focused on what's going in their mouth. I, They'll be I couldn't watching. agree more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, like, I used to like the bathtub um, or going to a park. The park is such a great place because they run around and they get hungry. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I think that's exactly something that they need to understand. And that they have to be at a hungry state, too. Right. Uh, because, uh, you know, they'll come, sometimes they'll call them to dinner and they want to introduce something new, but they've, the child's been snacking all day on their gluten-free pretzels. Yes. Or their juice. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I do think it's tricky for parents, and I do think that the children, usually I, all, I will ask, is there a babysitter, a parent, or a grandparent that is more successful with getting the child to comply? Mm-hmm. Usually there is. And that's the parent that then, or the grandparent, or the babysitter, that should be in charge <laughs> of, of accomplishing the difficult task. That's a very excellent idea. I know my, my babysitter gets my children to do a heck of a lot more than, than I can get them to do. So that's an excellent, that's an excellent point. Um, I, I think it's really important. And, and children, um, uh, children on the autism spectrum seem to have a greater sense of what's going on. And they, they figure people out in ways that we often don't give them credit for. And they do smell so to speak, what your real commitment is. What's your real commitment to this child and how they're going to be fed. And, and I will say this to parents of typically developing children who, who approach it with, well, I never like taking supplements or eating vegetables. And they squinch up their face and, mm-hmm. and of course, a child's not going to comply. But I always say, if it was insulin and your child was diabetic, oh, beautiful, yes, and their life depends on it, how is your approach? And what these children sense, just like typically developing children, is I can get away with refusing. That's right. Now I will reemphasize that children on the spectrum with the biochemical aversions, those are hard; they're hardwired. Uh, until we break them slowly. So it's, it's a tricky testing out the waters with the child. You don't want to get into out-and-out battles. And when I say hardwired, we've all been there. If you ever got sick on a food, a pizza, a drink, it doesn't matter what it is, that food is offensive, and it can last a lifetime for some people yes. because we're hardwired to avoid anything the body perceives as bad for us. And when, let's say we were coming down with the flu and we happened to eat pizza or ice cream and we got sick, the body memorizes that food made us sick and we develop an aversion to it. All of us do it. It's human nature. Animals have it hardwired, but so do humans. Infants have it in an even greater sense because 
that's their survival. They can't make intellectual judgments about the look or smell of the food. So the taste is very important. Children with sensory delays are delayed in their sensory perceptions of food. And therefore, they are more hardwired to have these aversions, and it takes time. And it's all the more reason that we have to really focus and work hard on cleaning up our children's guts. Because as long as food hurts, yes, um, and digestion is hard, and um, food is not digesting so that they're getting reflux from undigested food, yes. as long as those things are an issue, aversions to foods are going to grow. And so we have to focus um, so many times in treatment of autism uh, so much is focused on getting the metals out, getting the metals out, and not enough is focused on just fixing the gut because the gut is the second brain. And when you can really do a lot of repair there, um, you're, the, the, all types of functioning will improve. They share the same neurotransmitters. They certainly That's do. That's why they call it the bowel-brain connection. <laughs> That's right. Um, this is this is all fabulous information. We're going to be taking another break in a little bit. Um, when I get back, uh, Dana, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about carb addiction and um, the lack of protein in a lot of our children's diets and the lack of good fats, um, which really kind of goes back to the, the world of Sally Fallon. Yeah, <laughs> her again. I can hear her talking over my shoulder right now, saying, "Don't forget about the butter." <laughs> so. Um, We'll, we'll, get, we'll talk about it when we get back. We'll be right back. Please don't go away. We'll be right back with Dana Lake from the kid-friendly ADHD and autism. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. 
Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Betsy offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcast each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We are back with Dana Lake from the Kid-Friendly ADHD and Autism Cookbook, a fabulous cookbook as well as information about diet, a book that everybody should um, own that is implementing a gluten and casein-free diet. Uh, Dana, I want to talk to you now a little bit about carb addiction, and I I do believe that um, oh this this is a, such a tricky end because um, I I do think there is a place for carbs, and I think that enzymes can really help those who are having a difficult time digesting carbs. And I'm not necessarily an advocate of a, a an absolute no carb diet, although I do definitely advocate a low carb diet, and a mixed carb, as you know, so it's a proper mix of, of carbs and, and proteins and fats. Um, but I, I would like to talk about those, especially the children that are completely carb addicted and eat nothing but the carbohydrates. And um, can you please address the importance of protein uh, for amino acid purposes and neurotransmitter reasons, the importance of protein for a child's diet? Well, it's so critical, and for the most part, Many children on the spectrum have aversions to most protein foods except the milk. So when you take milk away, if they're not eating meat because they have texture issues, they can't stand fish because of the smell, beans may not digest well. Mm-hmm. Um, That's sometimes don't digest well either. Yeah, and eggs, eggs are wonderful, but if there's an allergy to those, we get into trouble. Right. And protein not only makes up the neurotransmitters, Betsy, as you know, they're very critical in energy metabolism. Yes. And we, we perform the organic acid urine analysis on the children to find out how their, their energy cycles are working, how they're metabolizing. And if you don't eat enough protein, you are not going to have the amino acids to make that energy cycle function. And what will happen is ultimately poor core energy metabolism and the, Analogy is like in your house, if you don't have enough electricity, the lights are dim, you blow fuses. And that's what these children are doing. 
they're not getting the nutrients they need. The brain starves, the body starves. And so protein's essential, but the caveat here is that if they have maldigestion problems, they can eat good protein, not digested to amino acids. Uh, protein is like a dollar. It won't fit in a coin machine. You have to break it down into coins. Those are the amino acids. Then those amino acids have to be absorbed and transported to the tissues for use. So when you mentioned the gut, the gut is the critical piece. That's where this malabsorption, maldigestion comes from. So we do utilize enzymes that help digest these residues from protein, maldigestion, and we use amino acids themselves, pure amino acids, so that the body doesn't have to work so hard. Right. Uh, once we get the protein in, glucose levels stay more stable. Yes. Oh, I have to share a story with you that you will so appreciate because... Um, my father lives 2,000 miles away and, you know, doesn't really understand what I do. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I really have not tried to push him. And recently his doctor diagnosed him um, as a diabetic, and I've tried to give my advice, but he really has to listen. To, it's the old school of listening to what his doctor says. And his doctor told him, and you can just imagine how nauseous I got when I heard this, but his doctor told him that he should start eating cornflakes for breakfast. <laughs> oh, my word. And I just I just wanted to throw up, actually, at the time when I heard that. I'm thinking, how could this come from a medical doctor to advise somebody with insulin problems to eat cornflakes for breakfast? And Probably because he eats cornflakes himself. <laughs> and that's the most glycemic. Um, I know. And, you know, bre- you, you mentioned breakfast, and I have to quote Pam Compart, my co-author on yes. this. There are no breakfast police. And we tell people to use lunch and dinner for breakfast yes. because the first food that passes your lips in the day sets the glucose control standard for the day. And the pH. And the pH, it absolutely does. So we encourage people to get protein and fiber, and we encourage them to eat non-breakfast foods. Cold cereal is glycemic and refined. It's 100% glucose, which raises blood sugar almost twice as high as pure table sugar. Now, I'm not advocating table sugar. (laughs) I'm making a point that most people don't know. Once you grind a grain into flour, it's not a whole grain. And the bread is not a whole grain bread. It's a bread from flours from whole grains. And once it's ground, it's glucose. Yes. And that's the, you know, that's you have the hardest time because, well, yes, I eat whole grain bread. And oh. I come back and say, <laughs> do you see the little grains in there? No, if it's fluffy and light, it's not whole grain. Oh, Dana, it's so nice to talk to you because it's it's just like it's just refreshing to hear the same the same challenges that you face. And I do, I know exactly what you're saying there. And and so the funny thing is, is that I put my dad on a diet, and I um I said that's it, I'm in charge now. I can't sit back and be passive on this anymore. And I wanted to have him start eating turkey sausages for breakfast. And he was just appalled. I can't have sausage for breakfast. That, that's going to raise my cholesterol. 
<laughs> well, do you know, I just got the report. In three weeks, he lost 10 pounds, um, hasn't had a high blood sugar report, and doing great because he's finally eating protein. So, wow. and, 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 just, and I realize that this is an adult with diabetes and not a child with autism, but it's the still same premise that these pancreases of these children, and especially the A blood type children, um, these pancreases are, are fragile to the extreme, and we need to pamper them, and we need to limit the carbs and get that protein up there. Um, before, before I, I we, we only have a few minutes left, so I, we need to talk about um, fats and the importance of good fats. And um, I'm very sad that um, my son cannot do butter. I, I wish he could because it is a wonderful food. But if he does get butter, he, in fact, all of my children, if they get butter, they really start to lose it. Um, and, and I can do ghee occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I may be wrong here, but um, I have found that the closest in, in the makeup of butter is going to come from coconut fats. Yes. Is that is yes. that something that we, you recommend your patients yes, do? Yes, we may recommend, recommend coconut fat, uh, coconut milk. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, product to use. And in fact, the harmful mutant plastic fatty acid hydrogenated oils. Can you tell how I feel about that? <laughs> um, Mary Ennig, uh, who's a colleague of Sally's, we all were Sal and Mary and I both went to the University of Maryland and. And that was Maryland's specialty, trans fatty acids. But in any case, the trans fats, the hydrogenated oils, came out to replace lard and, and coconut uh, fats. And it, it was such uh, a travesty to what had been around since human time on Earth. Yes. It's absurd that in a hundred years we think uh, the, the, Artificial foods and the mutant foods are really where we're supposed to go when for hundreds of thousands of years people have just eaten real foods. I agree. I agree. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a message that I used to work with Dr. McCauley years ago and a message that I'll never forget. He's like, you have to eat the way we ate 100 years ago and just simple as that. And it's something that I try to preach wherever I can. And, oh, my, Dana, we are so out of time, and I am so upset because I could talk to you forever. Um, and I, first, I would like to, before signing off, thank you for the work that you're doing, um, to thank Dr. Compart, to thank um, Dr. Pangborn and Dr. Baker, who I admire tremendously and who were some of my first teachers, and I appreciate them very, very much. Um, so thank you for having your book. Let's quickly give a website of where they can buy your book. Well, they can go to Amazon.com. If, if they want to, they can also contact Pam Conhart and myself. My uh, website is Dana Lake, and there's two A's in Lake, at AOL.com, and you can get to Pam's through my website. Okay. Great. Dana, thank you so much, everybody. Until next time, um, please get the book, The Kid-Friendly ADHD and Autism Cookbook. We'll be with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.